Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to those that are here and to those, most of you, that are at home. Um, it's been great to be here, actually. It's been a long time, and to worship with others was, uh, was really filled my heart. Um, so I'm Elizabeth, as Chris said, and I'm a longtime member of Newmarket Alliance Church. And today, uh, we're going to continue looking at Matthew 6, and we're going to explore specifically the verses 9 through 15. And in most Bibles, this is referred to or, or entitled, The Lord's Prayer. So my experience with this prayer began in public school during a time in Ontario, and I think most of North America, when all public school children began every day by standing and reciting in unison the words found in these verses in Matthew 6. They were the only words I'd memorized from the Bible. In fact, I don't think I'd ever touched a Bible. I'd heard some of the stories from it about Joseph and Noah, but that was the extent of my knowledge, and certainly I had no understanding. I didn't know who God was. I didn't grow up in a practicing Christian home, and these words didn't really mean a lot to me. I did it because that's what was expected. It was like lining up for recess or not talking during class. It's just the way it was. Preparing for today, I've wondered if that might be one of the reasons why this prayer gets so little attention these days. Sometimes you can become so familiar with something that it no longer holds any meaning for you. Or maybe it's the perceived rote nature of the prayer. <clears throat> Whatever the reason, I want to spend some time this morning digging into the rich, deep meaning of the words that are, I, I believe are at the heart of this prayer. I don't believe that it was ever Jesus' intention that we recite this prayer word for word. Rather, I see it as an invitation, an invitation to connect us to the power and possibility found in prayer. It's a shame this prayer does get so little attention because it's important. And how do I know this? The disciples did not ask Jesus, or at least it's not recorded in the Bible, how to heal or how to do miracles. And yet they asked him how to pray. They saw him going off by himself during the day and in the evening to be with his father. They saw how important it was to him. And they saw how he knew moment by moment what the Father was calling him to do. Several verses in the Bible tell us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus also prayed with a kind of authority and power they had never seen before, as though God was listening. So when they came to Jesus, as told in Matthew 6, they didn't say, teach us another prayer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were curious. They were hungry for a greater connection with the Father, for a connection like the one that Jesus had. Luke 11, verses 1 to 4, tells it like this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. The Jewish people were very familiar with the oft-repeated structured prayers of the Torah. But as I've said, 
I don't believe that Jesus shared these words as just one more ritualistic prayer, as it was taught to me. These words are directions on how to pray, not the words of a prayer. And as directions on how to pray, these simple words are a powerful gift. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? It begins in black and white. And when Dorothy gets hurt and goes unconscious, when she wakes up after that, the world is different. It is full of color. And for me, this was a metaphor that really captured what I was trying to figure out about how to describe today how much these verses have changed for me over the years. For me, praying the Lord's Prayer is a ritualistic prayer. is a bit like watching the whole of the Wizard of Oz movie in black and white. When we just read the words on the page, we miss their depth and their color. We don't allow them to come alive in our hearts and in our minds. And remember, this is Jesus talking. He rarely presented things in black and white. His words were always rich with meaning, alive and connecting. I have found there is so much in these words if you pray them from a place of hope and possibility with an open and receptive heart. Edwin Keith wrote, Prayer is exhaling the spirit of man and inhaling the spirit of God. So what was Jesus saying about how to pray? Let's take a look. Let's begin with our. And I know you're thinking if we go through this whole prayer word by word, we will be here all day. But I need to start with our. Bear with me. This is an important word for me. The hour is an open invitation. This prayer is inclusive. It is here for everyone. Coming in faith, coming to faith later in life, this is important to me. He is not just yours or yours. He is ours. He is everyone's father. It's intimate. It's personal. We're invited into a relationship with God. We are praying not to the father, but to our father. Abba, our daddy, the one who made us, who brought us into this world and walks with us daily. He is not remote. He does not hold himself aloof. He is accessible and he loves us. I mean, really, is there a more intimate relationship than this one? He calls us his children and he knows everything about us. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, begin by remembering who you are praying to. He is yours, and you are his. Getting to know this intimacy with the Father was very healing for me as a young adult. It drew me to him into the Christian faith. The invitation was one of open-armed acceptance. He knew my faults. He knew everything there was to know about me, and still he loved me. It's an invitation to pray to him in all circumstances and at all times in my weaknesses and my strengths because he already knows. He knows it all. The use of the word our also reminds me the importance of praying with others. I think our is not only about connection and relationship between you and your father. I think it is all, was also intended as a reminder that we were meant to pray together. When two or three are gathered in my name, 
there will I be also. Over the years, praying with others, I see how it builds the bonds of mutual servanthood. We serve together. We're there for each other. We carry each other's burdens. We celebrate together. Being a follower of Jesus is not a solitary journey. And if you try to do it on your own, you're missing out because it's one of the greatest gifts is walking out your faith with other Christians. Let's take a look at the entire first line. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father is not just any Father. He's the Father who's in heaven. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. The creator of the universe. He put the stars in the sky. He separated the water from the land. He created you. He created me. He is not a remote God. A divine being to be worshipped from afar. He lives in heaven and he also created a way that he lives in us through the Holy Spirit. He is available to us at any time, in any circumstance. He doesn't need us. He created us because he wants us to work in partnership with him. He wants to realize his purposes through us. And prayer is a key part of that. Can you feel the color coming into all of this? coming into the words of the prayer, and we're only on the first line. Then we have, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Lord God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy to be praised. This is our opportunity to worship, to express our wonder, our adoration, our gratitude to declare his name, that he is king and that he is in control, to give him honor and glory. Worship is a gift. Psalm 22.3 says that he actually lives and dwells in our praises. Like that is just hard to even imagine. This is the mystery and the miracle of the power and presence of God when we worship. When we worship, we affirm the truth of God's word and it becomes deeply rooted in our hearts. In worship, we find joy and peace. We realign our thoughts and our lives towards the Lord. We acknowledge our need for him and open the door to let him move more fully in our lives, in our will, and in our thoughts. We invite him to heal our hearts. Only God is big enough to carry my pain and my grief. Only God can exchange my sorrow for garments of praise. Or as it says in Isaiah 61.3, Give them beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. What comes next? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For me, this line has always been a yearning for more. More of God. More of his presence in my life. More of his presence in the suffering of the world. 
It's also an invitation to be part of extending God's kingdom on earth. Jesus modeled extending God's kingdom. God advances his kingdom through the prayers of his people. As Elizabeth Elliot put it, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. What can I do to be a part of bringing God's plan, his power to earth, today and every day to expand his kingdom, God's kingdom on earth and not man's? We want to live in a world characterized by love and faith and hope. We want to live in a world governed by God's will. So we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, show me how to advance your kingdom on earth. Lord, show us how to advance your kingdom on earth. Jesus himself prayed these words when he was dying on the cross. Luke 22, verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When we pray this, we humble ourselves and surrender to the will of God. We're not only acknowledging that we don't always know what is best, but also that we need to listen and wait on his will. We are acknowledging, as Jesus taught us, that his will is best. We surrender. Surrender has become a word you don't hear much. It makes people, including me, uncomfortable. What I've come to understand about surrender probably is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's brought me to a place where I see, for me, there is no other way forward. There never was although at times in my life I thought there was. This is part of why it's so important to begin praying by acknowledging who we are praying to. He is the only one I will surrender to. He knows me better than I know myself. I can look back on my life and see his hand in everything, in his choice of a husband for me, and how as different as we are, we are also the perfect complement to each other. He built a Christian community around me when I didn't even know I needed one. And now I see it was in preparation for the time where the family that I grew up in would be all gone so early in my life. He blessed me with children, which really was the ultimate experience for me in surrender. As I made mistakes and my busyness and my humanness missed opportunities to be there for my kids, I would get on my knees and pray that he would fill in the gaps and the places where I had failed, that he would parent my kids when my parenting was not enough. His faithfulness to me brings me to my knees. But it's not just about what he's done for me. I stand on the truth of the Bible. <clears throat> he said he is who he says he is. We're also requesting here that God give us the strength to follow his will, not ours, in living a life that glorifies him. And how do we glorify him? Jesus summarized the entirety of God's word in two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way we love demonstrates who we are. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Has always helped me pray when I haven't known what to pray. You know those situations where it all seems too much, it's overwhelming, words fail you. When the world seems upside down and only God could possibly know how to put it right. In Romans 8, verses 26 to 27, it tells us that when we do not know what to pray for, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit intercedes to bring the will of God to earth. Again, this speaks to the intimacy intimacy that we have with the Father. He searches our hearts and he knows us. Really, we could just stop here. But we have a generous God. And now we come to the verse where we get to ask for what we want. I know if you're like me, I often start my prayers here. Give us this day our daily bread. He is our Father and he wants to bless us. God knows our needs before we even ask, but he wants us to ask. Luke eleven nine to 13, we are told, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for a, an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask. This is the time when you are praying to ask. I believe there's meaning behind the order of the words that Jesus taught in Matthew. There's order and discipline in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, first, start with your Father in thanksgiving and praise, acknowledging who he is. This will bless him and it will bless you. Acknowledge that it is his will that we desire in our lives. He knows us and he knows what is best for us. And then, and only then, is it time to ask for whatever we want. It reminds me of an approach to prayer I was shown a while back that has stuck with me. It's a good visual. So imagine a blank white piece of paper, and in the middle there's black scribbles. The black scribbles are all your worries, all your concerns, all the things that you think you need, all that you want the Lord to know, and all that you want to ask for. And the white area is everything else. Praise, honoring God, listening to him, seeking his will. In this approach, to pray, you pray for all the things in the white space. And only then, at the end, you move to the black space and pray for the things that are there. I usually want to start by praying for the black bit. And sometimes then I never actually get to the white part. But that is not how Jesus directs us to pray. And when you ask for your daily bread, remember to pray not just for yourself, but also for others, for their daily bread. 
I was in Toronto a few weeks back. I was at a pharmacy surrounded by strangers. I was waiting my turn in line. And I decided to pray. I had nothing else to do. And the Lord's Prayer came to my mind, probably because I had already start about, started thinking about what I was going to say today. And as that first word, our, came out, came into my mind, I became so aware of everyone else around me. Our God is for everyone. Not everyone has chosen him, but he still loves them. And he wants me to have the same heart for them. To tell you the truth, until this moment, I hadn't really even noticed them. I wasn't really interested. And that one word, our, took me to a completely different awareness. I was overwhelmed by how God sees them and his love for them. And I began to pray for each one. Such a simple moment became so rich. Asking God to give us our daily bread is also a reminder to daily humble ourselves and acknowledge that not only is the Lord, not only is not only is it the Lord that gives us the material things we have, he also gives us spiritual sustenance. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses reminds the Israelites that God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Today and every day, we need to humbly come before our Father, grateful that he has not forgotten us, and pray to receive our spiritual sustenance so that we can go out into the world and live a life that's honoring to God. In John 6, Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life that comes down from heaven so that whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I believe that asking for our daily bread is also an opportunity to cooperate with God in our prayers, to ask him to lead us in how we pray for our day-to-day -day needs or concerns. Yet not my will, but your will, Lord. As I bring forward different situations or people in my prayers, I inquire of the Lord, what is your will in this situation or for this person? What do you want in my life? in the lives of my family. Lord, break our hearts for the things that break yours. I might, in my own will, pray for my children's protection or that they would make godly friendships. But when I inquire of God, he often shows me other things to pray, things that on my own I would not think of. <clears throat> Is this where we ask, why does it sometimes seem like God does not answer prayer? because I'm pretty sure many of us have had this experience. Jesus assures his disciples, if you ask anything in my name, the Father will do it for you. But if you're like me, you've prayed prayers and haven't seen them answered. How do I live with this in my life? In previous times that I've spoken at NAC, I've gone into some detail on some of the hard times in my life when I didn't see an answer to my prayers. But even in the light of unanswered prayers, I still believe. I stand on the truth of Daniel 3.18. When Daniel is saying to the king that is going to throw them into the fiery pit, our God, who we serve, 
is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, even if we die in the flames, God is still good and we will worship him alone. In this world, we will have trouble. And in that trouble, we are not alone. I was recently reminded by Peter Gregg, the co-founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, that Jesus also lives with unanswered prayer. He prays that his church, the body of Christ, would be united. And the last time I looked, it wasn't. I choose to anchor myself in God's love and reach out to the community God has given me to build my faith. I choose to trust even though I don't understand. God's silence is not the same as his absence. He assures us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake him. Next, Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is at the center of our relationship with God. He knows we will sin, that we will do things that are, that are outside of his will. He is acknowledging this in this prayer. We don't have to hide it from him. He knows, and he's showing us the way forward, which is to ask for forgiveness. And the Lord sets the exam example in Lamentations 3. We are told that his mercy is new every morning and his faithfulness never fails, which means he's willing to forgive us every single day. And we should ask every day and not let any sin build up. Sometimes I just pray a general prayer of forgiveness, knowing that I'm not always aware of when I've offended or hurt another. A bit like how David prayed, See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And again, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What does he want from us in the area of forgiveness? He's looking for us to come to him with godly sorrow over our sin, individually and collectively. In Second Chronicles we are told, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And he also wants us to forgive those that have offended or sinned against us. In fact, in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God never misses an opportunity to teach about grace, and yet he makes the decision ours. If you forgive others, I will forgive you. It's your choice. He doesn't say it's easy choice or an easy process, but he gives us full responsibility to act. He doesn't even say, if you forgive, your life will be good. He says, if you forgive, I will forgive you. Unforgiveness, holding on to offense is a trap. I know I've lived in this trap. There's no peace to be found here. And leaving this place takes surrender. 
I can honestly say that often when I begin to forgive, and it is often a process, that I don't even know where it will end up. In restoration of a relationship or in letting go of a relationship, I leave it in God's hands. But I also know that the act of forgiving has enriched my life. If the process of, in the process of forgiving, I've had to ask God to show up more fully in my life. I've needed his help to do it. I've had to give the reins of certain interactions or situations to him because left on my own, I won't have the grace to get through it without judgment or blame or even harsh words. Not forgiving takes us down a slippery slope that can lead to seeking revenge, to gossip, or even to speaking poorly about a person. It can even lead to praying outside of God's will for that person. Non-forgiveness hardens our hearts and separates us from God. Whereas forgiving, on the other hand, can lead us to patience and grace that is transformative. For times when forgiving someone proves especially difficult, the Bible teaches that a good time to practice forgiveness is during prayer, when our minds and hearts are united with God. Mark 11, verse 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Finally, we come to the last line in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is faithful. And 1 Corinthians tells us, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way to escape, that you may be able to endure it. We acknowledge here that our free will brings with it human weaknesses. To overcome those weaknesses, we pray for God to extend His guiding hand over us, and grant us the discernment necessary to steer clear of temptation and sin. If we continually seek the Lord, He will answer us and deliver us from all of our fears. In John 15, Jesus says that, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's love and faithfulness are eternal, and his mercy is new every day. Let us love as he loves, forgive as he forgives, seek justice, love mercy, enjoy his many blessings when we do things the Lord's way. His way is always the best way. In summary, Jesus' words outline a way of praying that calls us to reverse, to revere God. Accept, accept his will, know his word, love each other through forgiveness, and resist evil. And following its guidance has led to many rich and wonderful times of prayer in my life. And now I would like to pray through the Lord's Prayer with everyone here and those at home. If you'll pray with me. Father, our Father, the Father of the universe, Abba, Daddy, we remember you, our maker and provider. We are yours. You know us, you love us. And we worship you, Father. We lift up words of praise and honor to you. You are holy. 
pure, loving, faithful. You seek us out. You are gentle. With you, we are never alone. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. We give you our burdens and our sorrows in exchange for your garments of praise. Heal our hearts, Father. Lord, today, how should I pray for myself? Lord, today, how should I pray for another? Bring that person to mind, Lord, and show me what to pray. Lord, show us how to advance your kingdom on earth. Use us to further your purposes on earth. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive those that we are aware of. Forgive those things that we are aware of, Lord, and forgive those things that we are not even aware of. Help us to forgive those that have sinned against us. Walk the path of forgiveness with us, Lord. Fill our words and actions with your grace. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from the evil one. Help us to make wise and godly decisions. Guard our minds, our thoughts, and our choices. Lord, we surrender to you. Lord, we give it all to you. Lord, we thank you that we can bring it all to you, Lord, and that you are there. You are always there. You are always willing to listen. In your holy name we pray. Amen.